Paceline is a production of the Cycling Independent with the support of listeners like you and the master bike builders at Seven Cycles. We are community supported, community focused, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. At the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Uh, how goes it, sir? Uh, we, we have had the best weather I can remember this week, and it's making everything better. Awesome. Awesome. That's nice to hear. And, and, and you, how was Memphis? Um, hotter than the gates of hell, mm. uh, in direct sunlight. Um, mm-hmm. I got off the plane yesterday in Santa Rosa, uh, where it was 77 degrees and I went, oh yeah, summer can be nice. <laughs> <laughs> there's this, there's this ongoing experience in Memphis during the summer. And I mean, many places are like this. I, you know, uh, Far be it for me to suggest that this is the most difficult summer on the planet. Most of the country experiences this. But that that feeling that, you know, you get when you open the front door to step outside and it feels like you're stepping into an oven. Yeah. 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 Uh, mm-hmm. We had that here all of July. Mm-hmm. All of July. It was just miserable and it i didn't i wasn't aware until the humidity broke how mood effective it is for me Mm -hmm. sure well we've already clearly or at least you have established that you are a creature of colder climes yes yeah absolutely and i wonder you know in the future how close to the um how close to the pole the north pole i'm going to have to move to live a reasonable life. Um, have you heard of Nova Scotia? I, I've heard of it. I've <laughs> been there. It's lovely. <laughs> I could see that in your future. Yeah. Um, it could be. Yeah. Well, uh, let's jump in. What are you pulling on today? Um, so last night I was driving home about 830. Uh, it was still light out, but not very Uh, And I'm cruising along the main drag through our town, Mass Ave, for those of you who are uh, Boston familiar, Mm -hmm. cruising up, cruising down Mass Ave towards my house, when all of a sudden a guy on a cruiser bike swoops out of the oncoming lane Mm -hmm. on my left and straight across my path, followed wobblingly by a young girl I presume was his daughter. Oh, yeah. So he he swooped and was out of the way before I got there, but his daughter was not. And so I got all over the brakes. Um, also, this wasn't a place where you would turn. It wasn't like a natural turning place. Like he mm-hmm. went over like the median there is flat. It's not raised so you can ride across it. But there's a median like mm-hmm. cars don't go across there. Uh-huh. He just like ripped right across 
Uh, uh, I guessing it was his daughter uh, came behind him. I had to get on my brakes so as not to run her over. Mm-hmm. Um, he literally just cut straight across the double yellow with his kid in tow. And then behind them came a woman, I guessed was the wife, mother, girlfriend, th- whomever. It, it was a, a third trio. Rider. Yeah. She, uh, I was already on the brakes, so she wasn't going to make it at all. Um, and she had the sense at least to try to stop there, uh, at least to acknowledge that, oh, she was just driving out, riding out into traffic. Uh, (sighs) but I let her go because she at least, I mean, I I didn't want to hit her obviously, uh, (laughs) but also I was like, well, you're obviously with those people. the The group of you has made a terrible mistake, but at least you had the good sense to stop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so sh- she looked embarrassed, maybe maybe even angry, which I can understand. Uh, the, the dude, whoever ang- he was, angry at who you you or or the leader? Oh no, not at me. Okay, okay, no, not at me. Well, uh, I mean, I I have to ask because I've been in plenty of situations where I've done nothing wrong, and you know, someone has gotten mad at me. No, no, no. She was obviously befuddled by uh, finding herself quite suddenly in this situation. Right. The dude, whoever he was, basically dragged his family into oncoming traffic and rode away. Which is, uh uh-huh, yeah, that happens with uh, many of our species. It it's true. So I'm a pretty vigilant driver uh, and I stopped and no one got hurt, but the guy never looked back. I can only hope his lady friend gave him an e- ever loving earful later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, at the very least for endangering the kid. Um, I bring this up because I see a tension building on the roads and, and, you know, on the trails for that matter. And I intentionally opened with an anecdote about run-of-the-mill cyclists, mm-hmm. a, fa- a family out for a cruise, because mm-hmm. it's tempting to conflate the issue we're having of poor cycling behavior, or I, I wouldn't even say poor cycling behavior. It, it's tempting to say, oh, e-bike riders are doing X, Y, and Z. Mm, 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 or, mm, mm. and believe me, there is plenty of that, but it's not, this is not an e-bike thing exclusively, not even close. Right, it is not confined to one population. no. In fact, the problem I see falls under the umbrella category of personal mobility. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We've got new cyclists, courtesy of the pandemic, added to the regular bevy of reckless and or oblivious cyclists. Then we've got e-bike riders, and that category spans directly into mopeds, really, Mm -hmm. Um i.e. machines that are too fast for the bike lane but are there anyway. Uh, (laughs) Then you've got electric scooters, you've got electric skateboards, you've got those little one-wheel kind of things. Uh Um, On the one hand, it's great to see so many people out of their cars. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally agreed. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, our cycling infrastructure was probably insufficient for purpose before, and now it's overflowing with new users who are not clear on how to navigate in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Now, to be 100% clear, I never expect everyone to follow all the rules and maintain good order everywhere they go. Mm-hmm. I have ridden like a jackass myself as a young person. Um, 
we're a chaotic species, we're self-centered, we're short-sighted. I expect some level of mayhem. Heck, I even welcome it. I, I love I love a little mayhem. You are a punk. Yes. So this is not me complaining that these people shouldn't be out in the world. Right. What I want to say is that we're reaching a breaking point in some places. I was talking with a friend in Southern California last week, and he said there has been a sharp rise in bike car accidents where he lives with so many kids out on fast e-bikes. Yep. Yep. Um, I think we have to be really careful, though, about castigating certain constituencies just because we ride bikes. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. We we all have to share that space. And within each constituency, there are those who are doing a good job of considering everyone else in their own safety. And there are some uh, who would lead their daughters into oncoming traffic. <laughs> mm hmm. So what I want to get across today isn't an us versus them crusade, uh, but a plea to everyone to try to influence this situation positively. Mm, yeah. Back in back in the olden times when Lance ruled the Peloton, the pro Peloton, and a wave of middle aged folks in Lycra took to the road and the pace line. We slowly and gently educated them in the ways of the thing, right? We mm-hmm. taught them to draft and to take their pull and not to overlap wheels and, you know, how to deal with traffic lights, etc. Yeah. Um, it's all too easy to say things like electric scooters should be banned from the sidewalk or the bike lane or wherever, wherever it is they're trying to be, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's neither fair nor realistic uh yeah yeah we we've talked before about this vacuum of leadership in personal mobility uh because none of these folks sort of lives within any organized culture subculture or system Mm -hmm. that is disseminating information to them yeah yeah Uh, And we've also talked about the cultural lag that attends pretty much all new technology. So this is the time it takes for us to catch up ethically, practically, et cetera, with new ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. Given that lack of leadership and this and the sort of poverty of our infrastructure, I'm just today, I'm just trying to sort of ask our bike riders uh, to try to lead by example, if not in word. I don't think it's helping if we're like yelling at people or preaching at people at lights. Uh, <laughs> but rather than uh, rather than engaging in a new culture war of which we already have plenty going. Oh, yeah. I was going to say surplus. Yeah. Let's let's not try to have those in our bike lanes. Um, let's let's try to be positive about it. Let's try not to just be angry at everybody who's doing it wrong or how who we perceive is doing it wrong. Uh, and I don't even actually want to get that much into right and wrong, more safe and unsafe. Mm-hmm. 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 Because I don't love I had I had a guy on a one wheel pass me uh, on a bike path. Uh, mm-hmm. He was going fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't love it, but I was sort of I mean whatever he's doing his thing i'm doing my thing right you weren't actually harmed by his passing of you no um 
no, it was more my ego uh, uh, was a little peaked, but that's, you know, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. par for the course. Uh, no more. I just I just want to try to get everyone's safety attended to in a reasonable way without too many fights and conflicts. Yeah, yeah, I uh, am with you uh, in entirety. One of the things that I keep pleading with, you know, our population of unmotorized cyclists is that if we are hostile to all these new folks coming into cycling with e-bikes, that's not going to do us any favors. It's going to create yet another user group that is mm, hostile to us and they'll be hostile to us because we were hostile to them. And so, yeah, I've been preaching to whatever degree that I can that, you know, these are fellow cyclists. And, you know, if we want them to get on board with our ideas about uh, etiquette, you know, and consideration and, you know, rules of the road and, you know, that sort of thing, um, we can't be jerks. I mean, we can be jerks, but we'll never get the desired result. And the thing that I keep thinking about, and this this extends, you know, in off-road situations as well, is that this is a, a user group that somebody is going to want to incorporate into their larger user group for advocacy purposes. In advocacy, numbers are everything. If you have a population of a million, your local popul- your local politicians will listen to you. Right. If you have a population of 5,000, they're probably listen. Maybe if you've got a population of a thousand, they're not going to pay any attention. Uh, And so we, you know, we already see, uh, you know, in, in the off-road circumstance, we're already seeing uh, motorcycle manufacturers getting into e-bikes and then holding e-bike races on motorcycle courses they're they're having events for them uh if we want everybody with an e-mountain bike to identify as more of a motorcycle rider than more of a cyclist when it comes time for those advocacy numbers to be added up and local politicians and national politicians to listen they won't be part of our voice i think we have to think about it as and again, I'm not trying to um, create a dichotomy between cars and not cars, but I think where we want to encourage people to engage with non-petroleum based <laughs> transportation <laughs> modes, mm-hmm. we have to find common cause. Yeah. And I think we also have to understand that, yes, this is a Wild West moment in which a lot of these um, vehicles, I'll call them, mm-hmm. uh, don't have any established guidelines or rules for their use. Certainly none that are enforced where I live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we can get pr- uh, we can get what territorial about bike lanes and lanes and trails, etc., 
we can do that, but I don't think ultimately that's the solution. I think we have to be a little patient while the cultural norms of this stuff shake out, uh, you know, where it becomes common knowledge that, oh, you can't ride your electric scooter here or there, or you can't ride your e-bike here or there. And I, I'm not advocating for either of those things to be excluded mm-hmm. from anywhere. That's not my point here. My point is only to say that we have to find common cause with those people. We have to be patient while the the the, the social contract gets sorted out on these <laughs> new things. Uh, and we should try to stay positive. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing that I try to do with folks when I encounter somebody, you know, out on the road, it's the same thing I do with any other cyclist. Oh, hi, where are you headed? You know, what you've been up to? How long you've been out? Uh, I, I try to be interested in them uh, and, you know, draw them out some. Now, I, I am a... a uh, died in the genes, uh, introvert. And so, you know, left my own devices. I just wouldn't even talk to anybody, uh, except maybe you. Um, but you know, I'm, I recognize that we have a responsibility, um, or at least I feel a responsibility as a member of the media and somebody who, uh, is is called upon to speak on behalf of cycling. I'm I need to be part of the PR effort. I need to engage people. Uh, I need to do what I can to make them feel a welcomed part of a larger community. Um, you know, and it, uh, it's beyond that. You know, yeah, I don't engage in conversations of. You can't have it here unless it is an internal combustion engine going, you know, 30 miles an hour on the bike path, which I have encountered. Um, Yeah. Uh. There's a degree here where I think it's good to be friendly. It's good to, you know, welcome people in simultaneously. I'm not I don't get to make any of the rules for my town. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately the mechanism for a lot of this stuff to shake out is people getting hurt and killed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is when the, you know, when the local cops in my town start to, you know, uh, exert some pressure on, uh, people, people behaving in certain ways, you know, and I just have to wait for that. I yep. just have to wait for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to see people hurt or killed. Um, but I'm also not empowered to ride around my town yelling at people about their behavior. Yeah. Just, uh, just recently bicycling magazine published a new feature about, uh, teens and e-bikes and kids getting injured and sometimes even killed. Uh, and it focused on, uh, two different kids in, uh, in orange County, California, uh, and the stories were, uh, no, it was San Diego County. Sorry. Uh, it, it, the stories were horrific. Uh, you know, a mother rushing to her son at the hospital and finding out, oh no, this is, this is it. Um, it was difficult for me to read. Um, uh, but at the same time I was busy pulling 
my hair out going, well, why are you buying your kids an e-bike with a throttle on it? I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I, I can, I mean, you know, I've got a 14 year old. If I gave him a super 73 that he could jailbreak and do 35 miles on with the throttle, I know exactly what he would do. There's yeah. no question. And my 14 year old, uh, doing 35 is a bad, bad plan right from the go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's also important. I mean, a lot of this is, is regional, right? You know, like, um, there's beginning to be a problem here in Metro Boston. Um, <laughs> I, the, the friend that I alluded to before actually lives in San Diego County. Um, and he said, you know, it's really reached a critical stage there. I, I don't know if they have this issue in Tulsa or in, Edina, Minnesota, or I, I, I just don't know. But um, mm-hmm. in some mm-hmm. ways, you know, maybe maybe we get to be the point of the spear and everyone else gets to benefit. Uh, I hope I hope because the the whole rush to personal mobility uh, is, I think, going to increase in speed. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the sooner we get this stuff worked out, the better. But I just yeah. personally, I feel myself, I, fe- I wanted to talk about this today because I felt myself uh, becoming angry and judgmental. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. know that, um, you know, that doesn't solve, that doesn't solve much. So. No, no. And I, I wish that the industry could come up with, you know, formulate some sort of plan for like, what do we do in terms of outreach? How, how do we how do we speak to all these new people who are on, you know, the one to $2,000 e-bikes and have no experience with cycling, you know, since the 1970s or eighties, whatever, you know, how, how do we reach these people? What is it? What is the message we want to lead with? Uh, What is it? We really, you know, what are our priorities that we want to convey to them? Um, you know, it's, I'm sort of, uh, well, I'm not sort of, I'm dismayed at the lack of leadership within our, uh, within our industry on this, uh, given how hard some of the manufacturers have pushed, uh, to make e-bikes a thing. Uh, I'm looking at the big red S down in Morgan Hill here. I mean, I, I buy that to a degree, and this is uh, just, you know, trying to wrap my whole philosophy together. This is why I'm always pushing people into bike shops, because I do think if they're in a bike shop, at least they have someone in the bike shop to say, now, you need to be careful at the light down here. You know, you get some of that local information and some concern for the person's safety, uh, not to mention maybe a test ride and some advice Mm-hmm. Um, it's not formal, but it's, it's something and at least brings them into the, um, culture. Um, mm. and I, I think that the big bike companies could do more at the same time. You know, it's also a wild west in the market where the big companies are selling, are pushing the big four are pushing e-bikes, but 
there are a lot of companies in the space that aren't in bike shops, have no connection to the bike industry other than they make this thing. And so the whatever message the big S or the big T or the big C or the big G put out, um, it is also going to be diluted. I think what needs to happen is that urban planners and local governments need to get vocal about this is how we navigate in our space. Um, and I hate for it to have to be so officious because I don't really like rules, but where where uh, vulnerable road users mix with cars, trucks, buses, etc. You kind of have to be a little officious in order to keep people from getting killed. <laughs> yes, uh, that is entirely true. Um, yeah, I, I I guess one of the things that I am especially concerned about is that the last couple of times I've had occasion to walk into uh, one of the Trek stores, I felt like I was in a Best Buy with bike stuff. I, there was no sense of, of, uh, culture or community or anything. It, it, it had all been kind of, uh, uh, homogenized. Um, and I think that's working in the opposite direction of what we need. Well, I could do a hundred pulls in a hundred consecutive weeks about that, but, uh, I'm not going to turn that rock over and see what bugs are there today. Let's instead take a break. <laughs> And uh, come back. This month, we're sponsored by our good friends at Seven Cycles, who've been in the vanguard of American custom frame building for more than a quarter century. When you work with Seven on a bike, you get real input into the design. They offer more tube set options than any other builder. They offer more ways to customize your bike. The process is deep, but it's also fun, and the result is a bike you'll love riding for a lifetime. We've secured a few places in their busy build queue for Paceline listeners, which means you can get a fully custom dream bike from Seven in just three weeks from submitting your measurements. This is the fastest route to the very best bike you're ever going to own. Also, just for us, they're doing what they call the Centennial Build. That means that your designer, bike builder, welder, and finisher will have more than 100 years combined bike building experience. That's a lot. To find out more, just head to 7cycles.com forward slash TCI. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What have you got for us this week? Well, as we mentioned at the uh, outset of the show, uh, I was just in Memphis recently. And so I was going to share a little bit about that. Years ago, I was working for a bike shop in Memphis and in early June, this would have been 1989, uh, we received the latest issue of Bicycling Magazine. And that was always, I mean, such as, such was bike culture back in the 1980s that when any new magazine arrived, we basically stopped what we were doing to kind of <laughs> at least peruse the, the magazine to some degree. You know, before it went in the little wire rack there. The new phone the books are here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, and in this one issue, they had a whole article about, you know, exercising in summer heat. 
And they quoted a few different exercise physiologists. And the bottom line was that they said something along the lines of you don't you shouldn't ride in heat north of 90 degrees or above about 80 percent humidity. Yeah, I was reading this out loud to my coworkers, uh, and we all looked at each other and just started laughing. Um, and I don't quite recall who said it, but it was very possibly me. Uh, but someone said, well, that leaves out mm, all of June and July and August and the half of May and September. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, while I was there, I was speaking with a friend uh, who found out I had actually done a ride on Saturday in which they had decided, no, this is this is too bad a day. This yeah. is too much. Um, and this is an old, old friend of mine who had uh, recently, uh, you know, taken up cycling sometime in the last uh, two, three years. Um, and Saturday was an absolute scorcher. It, there was a high of 96 degrees and the humidity had risen to more than 80%. And when they found out I hadn't gone out for my ride until 10 a.m., I plead jet lag here, okay? Yep. Uh, they wondered how I didn't die. Um, and so I kind of explained my method and that's what I'm going to share here. Uh, so first, I do whatever I can to ride in shade, that makes a big difference. Having direct yep. sunlight on you, not the best. For me, I have an easy solution, easier than many folks may face, which is I just ride about two miles to Shelby Farms, uh, and I go into the trails in the forest there. Um, that cuts down on the opportunity to ride in a breeze, unfortunately, but it does keep the sun off of me, uh, which is, for me, the greater need. Just by moving, you're creating your own breeze, which uh, is, well, put another way, convective cooling. Mm -hmm. um, the next most important thing I did was I didn't ride very hard, honestly. Uh, my heart rate rose above 120 beats per minute only a couple of times. Um, and truly, one of the ways that we get overheated is by surpassing our body's ability to cool through perspiration. So. If it's in the 90s, you're going to be sweating just from the word go. The point is not to go so hard that heat accumulates in your body faster than you can sweat. Uh, I don't really know how you pinpoint that the way you would lactate threshold, but I think you can learn a lot by feel. Um, and on really hot, humid days, uh, if I want to be out longer than an hour, I simply don't let myself suffer. Uh, I'm not acclimated to that kind of heat and humidity anymore. So I have to dial back even more than somebody who has been riding uh, in that sort of circumstance. Um, another thing that I did was I sat up higher than I might have ordinarily. I didn't bend my elbows as much. Mm -hmm. um, yes, I went a little slower. Uh, but it gave me more surface area for that all-important convective cooling. Um, I know this may seem obvious, I suppose, um, but when I mixed my bottles, I first put in mix, then I followed them with small ice cubes and then added water. And yes, of course, I used insulated bottles. The ice trays I have here at home produce 
cubes that are uh, like one inch by two inches by one inch. You know, they're, yeah. they're big, big they're bricks. Bergs. Yeah. Uh, my mother's ice maker in her refrigerator uh, creates uh, little like sort of ingots. They're kind of round and they're maybe yep. three quarters of an inch across. Yep. You can get a lot of those into a water bottle. <laughs> yep. Uh, so I just, I fill it straight to the top with those. And, uh, that makes a big, big difference. And can I just say that ice cold pineapple scratch is a thing of beauty? (laughs) I I mean, in that kind of heat, any sort of, my body just, um, detects electrolyte and is delighted. (laughs) The, the, The flip side being that if I pick up a bottle and it's just water, I'm like, oh no. (laughs) yeah i mean you know i am a child of the 70s uh i grew up drinking sweet things lemonade you know occasionally soda um and i have been uh to this point in my life uh woefully unable uh to drink things that are uh without flavor i'll drink some water yes um but my mouth is so much happier if i put something ice cold in it and it has flavor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I will certainly drink a lot more of it that way. <laughs> anyway, m- my larger point here is that riding in the heat is possible. And you you don't have to ride at the absolute margins of the day where you need lights uh, in order to be able to go out. Um, you know, it's it's just it's not that bad. But I think it's really important to take a few precautions in order to make it entirely more doable. Yeah. What would you add? Um, gosh, I struggle so much with the heat. Um, and it was so stiflingly hot here in July. There were a bunch of days where friends of mine said, I know it's hot, but I'm going to go ride at, you know, seven tomorrow morning. Do you want to go? And I was just like, no, no, I just don't. (laughs) I don't. Um, you know, it's a lovely day here today. I think it was 70 when I left home. I was still in a heavy sweat uh, and it's not humid. So that just underlines my challenges with the heat. I, I know that you can uh, acclimate. Um, mm-hmm. There's a whole sort of uh, YouTube is full of things about how you uh, how you can get used to exercise, get your body uh, acclimated I always struggle. I want to say acclimatized, but acclimated to um, to hot. Uh, and I have done it before in past seasons, but it it, it takes an awful lot of patience for me. Um, and I am one who will push things to the margins of the day uh, or ride with lights. Um, I think everything you said is absolutely right. I I I, I ride. I find that in the middle of summer when it's extra hot, I will I will ride in a pair of um, uh, running shorts, even mm-hmm. without a chamois uh, and, and a shirt with no sleeves. And I don't even care if I look like a fool because the less I've got on, the better in every way. And I also also in summer, I wear a lot of white jerseys instead of uh, my more mm-hmm. customary uh, dark colors. I find that mm-hmm. helpful psychologically, if not uh in real terms. Yeah. I, you know, one, one other thing that I didn't include because I flat out forgot initially, um, I eliminated my normal pattern of using a, a base layer. Uh, yeah, I pulled on my bids and just a Jersey and, uh, 
not having that other layer to sit there wet against my skin uh, yeah. was certainly helpful. We should uh, at some point take up some of the other, uh, <laughs> now that it's already August, um, there are some some jerseys on the market uh, that have been predicated to especially hot weather, lighter materials, uh, elimination of a zipper, some things like that. I've, uh, I've certainly got some neat stuff, uh, that I can use in those circumstances. Oh, well, you should hear about more about that next week. It's still August. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, all righty, let's move on to Paceline Picks. Um, so today, again, I'm not going to pick a product today. I'm picking isometrics, uh, plank, low plank, chair pose, boat pose. Yeah. Uh, as cyclists, we pump our quads, we strain our backs, we rev the engine, but we seldom also do strength work to support all of that. Mm. Um, to encourage people to start a strength training program, I think is like saying you should learn to fly airplanes or take up an instrument. You know, it feels like time consuming, difficult and disconnected from what we are trying to do, which is ride more. Isometrics are a good um, compromise. They're a good way to get some strength training in in key areas without de devoting a ton of time to it. Uh, yeah, I think we all know a stronger core helps your riding a lot. It reduces back pain. It makes you more stable and resilient on the bike. Mm -hmm. uh, isometrics can easily be done while you're watching TV also, and they mm -hmm. require no equipment at all. So I read, I also read recently that they, they, uh, can lower your blood pressure if that's a thing you struggle with. Mm. Um, mm. so I'm just saying to people out there, think about it. Maybe while you're watching TV in the evening or whatever, do a plank, do a low plank, little chair pose for your quads, uh, boat pose for your abs uh if chair pose is too difficult for you or too shaky you can do a wall sit you know just pretending you're sitting in a chair mm -hmm. with your back up against the wall form is kind of important so maybe look these things up on youtube if you have questions about them but they're they're simple they're quick they're effective and they'll they will definitely improve your riding yeah yeah i i, I for one am am uh somebody who who needs to be doing more there's no doubt yeah. 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 I mean, I, you know what my exercise regimen is like. Um, I don't really even know how I arrived at, at the, at the, uh, <laughs> schedule that I have with it, but I understand like we want to ride bikes. You're not just going to no become an Olympic power lifter also, or, you know, <laughs> start a five day a week yoga practice. I don't, I understand that those aren't really practical pieces of advice, but if you could do, you know, three one minute planks while you're watching, uh, everyone loves Raymond or whatever it is you do with your time when you're yeah. not, uh, busy working, uh, just that little thing will help <laughs> your riding. Yeah. Cool. My pick this week is a new book from my friend, Stephen Kotler, uh, came out this spring. Uh, it's called NAR country. That's G-N-A-R, uh, as in gnarly. Uh, Kotler is the writer who first aggregated the research into flow states uh, in terms of neuroscience and explained how flow includes not just dopamine and not just endorphins, but both of those and norepinephrine, anandamide, and serotonin. 
Noir Country isn't really a sciencey book like many of his others. Uh, Noir Country isn't a book about cycling either. So why am I sharing about it? It's uh, it's about skiing is what it's about. And it's his account of deciding to to become a park skier at age 53. Um, At least that's what it is on the surface. What it really is, is kind of an anti-aging manual. Uh, Park skiing, for those who don't know, uh, is where you basically do skateboard-like tricks on boxes and rails and such in a ski area. Um, Common opinion holds that you need to learn this stuff by the time you are 30, uh, or self-preservation, i.e. fear, will prevent you from learning this stuff. Between 30 and 50 People think it's sort of possible, but unlikely. And for a guy like Stephen Kotler, who was 53 as he embarked on this little endeavor, uh, it's generally believed to be just flat out not possible. Um, The long, the short, the in-between is that Kotler pulled it off uh, and he killed it. Uh, In his book, he outlines how he set big goals, medium goals, and small goals to help inch his way to success. Um, he was going to storm the Bastille one inch at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he basically says exactly that, just an inch at a time. He also lays out how he did uh, all that in the midst of an insanely busy career. Uh, he was editing a book, uh, writing a book, and promoting a book. Uh, mm-hmm. Three different volumes, all at the same time. Um the only way he was able to pull off so much skiing more than 80 days on the snow in mm. one season uh, was by arranging his day like a mason laying bricks. Uh, his, the discipline that he displays in that book uh, makes my ADD just run away in fear. Uh, and he also has ADD, so it's not actually an excuse. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, how good is this book? Well, it's his fifth to be nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. Sure. Uh, once he was a finalist, uh, he's going to do this at, at some point. One other thing I'll add, um, I've read tons of Stephen's work. Not all of it, but I've read tons of it. He's, uh, he's an insanely bright, unfailingly well-informed, uh, and always interesting writer. Um, but this book, I say, deviates from his others in that it has more heart than anything else I've read by him. Uh, it is at turns hilarious, at turns uh, really snarky, um, and he de- he displays flashes of frustration and anger, uh, not to mention the odd humiliation. Um He's exceptionally vulnerable in it. It's just, it's an exquisite work. And uh, the the humor and the vulnerability and uh, humility, all of those things make this just an extraordinarily engaging read. I cannot recommend it highly enough. That's, it's interesting. I, you know, I, when you started to talk about it, I was like, oh, come on. Uh, you know, because... Park skiing, you know, I took up skiing when I was uh, 46, 47. Mm-hmm. And um, the idea of not just taking skiing up for me, but also then 
doing park stuff, uh, which I avoid when I ski. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was like, you know, that's just ridiculous. Uh, But then I thought, actually, I took up skiing really late. I ski at a place that's very challenging to ski. But skiing aside, I I can relate in the sense that, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, mountain biking was riding single track of various levels of technical difficulty. Mm -hmm. Uh, And today uh, it's evolved quite a bit. And while all of that style that I grew up on and love so much is still there, it's it's come into free ride and a lot more off the ground sort of stuff. And I also... I want to, I don't ever think I'm going to be a jump line rider, but I do have aspirations to keep up and understand on some level, um, the coolest stuff Mm -hmm. within Mm -hmm. our sport. So I'm, uh, I found myself by the end of you talking about it, like, you know, maybe I will give this a read, uh, because we are old dogs and, uh, I'm interested in new tricks. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, this is the second time that I have been pursuing something, uh, on a personal slash professional level, uh, only to have Steven get there, uh, first and publish a whole book where I'm thinking about a feature that I would sell to a magazine. He sells a whole book that, uh, oh, gets nominated for the Pulitzer. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) we can agree we don't like him. We can, we can agree on that. (laughs) Well, I, you know, and I would never actually say that. Um, I know uh, you do like him. (laughs) I don't know him. So I, I, you know, I, Steven, if you're, if you somehow come across this, I'm not, I don't dislike you. (laughs) He, um, he's a remarkably wonderful person and I'm just so pleased for him. But I also, uh, of the seven deadly sins, avarice is the one that gets me. And I am uh, so envious of his progress. Uh, I am envious of the book. Um, I am envious of the adventure uh, that he engaged in. Um, and so this is an F. Yeah. Uh, you go, boy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, truly. Go read it. It's awesome. Uh, and that, friends, is another episode of The Pace Line. <sighs> Uh, nice to be back here. Um, I can't wait to go for a ride later today. Yeah. Um, cause I'm, I can wear a base layer and I can go as hard as I want. And, uh, I, I can choose to put ice. I don't need to put ice in my bottles. Uh, this is a lovely thing. Hey, everybody, we would love to hear your feedback uh, on our episode today. Uh, We are also open to suggestions uh, for where we can go on a short pier, uh, as well as uh, ideas for polls uh, or even whole episodes. We would really love it if you consider subscribing. Uh, We have three, five and ten dollar a month options and uh, a tip jar if you just want to do the one off your dollars. Uh, as always, we like to stress are not going to private equity. Uh, none of us here have MBAs. We did not spend time on Wall Street. We're really just the lowly folk that we are. If only we had MBAs. Go on. I'm so glad that I don't. In fact, I, I often joke that I got the the I got the terminal master's degree, but I have the wrong letter in the middle. It's right. an F, not a B. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
moving right along. Um, and hey, you might want to give our some of our other uh, podcasts uh, listen, like Revolting with John and Stevel, uh, or The Long Way Home, which uh, will have another episode coming sometime soon. <laughs> I can't be more specific. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, thanks. And as always, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thank you for listening to The Pace Line. 